You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. You know, healthcare costs alone explain the gaps between wage earners. What I mean by that is every race has been wiped out for the last 20 years because of premiums, deductibles, and co-pays absorbing every single bump. Who is responsible for all this? Is it the employers? They're just cost shifting in exasperation. Their premiums have gone up in that same time from about $7,000 to $15,000 per employee. So you can imagine if you're paying somebody $35,000 a year and you're putting in $15,000 towards healthcare, there is exasperation there. If insurers are to blame, well, they're just maintaining their shareholder value. So that's their job. Is it the feds? Are the uh, regulators doing something wrong? All they're doing is incentivizing chronic care savings to try to desperately deal with the diabetics, hypertensives, mental illness, and et cetera. What about the politicians? Well, they simply cannot get reelected without the bigs lobby, which is larger than defense, oil, banks, and tech combined. So they're just doing their job too. Is it all big pharma's fault? Well, they're literally taxing American healthcare to serve the world, but it's not their fault either. How about the big middles? We hear a lot about PBMs, which are middlemen, and they are seeing the beginning of their end because they are middlemen. Who is Dr. Evil then actually? Well, it is we who write the checks, employers. We are also the hero because there's hidden treasure inside every one of our healthcare spends. I found mine, um, my healthcare spend basically nets me a cost of zero. And our guest today is finding the same thing with their employers they subscribe with. So there's a new subscriber economy that creates a C-suite and they're now engaging directly with primary care, chiropractic, labs, wholesale drugs, surgery and specialists. And there's a catastrophic layer on top that they can engage with to take care of some of that scary top end risk. Direct contracting and on-site clinics and virtual care and direct primary care represent buried treasure inside healthcare budgets. Direct contracting is also seeing scalable models like virtual primary care take off. And our guests today, wow, they're an exciting offering. I want to introduce you to Brad Youngren, who's the chief medical officer of 98.6. Now that's 98 and then the word point six if you're looking them up. He's been with him for a few years and prior to his role as CMO at 98.6, he was a CMO at several other startups, and he still works as an emergency physician, and he learned his trade from the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. He's also earned a Bronze Star and a Combat Medic badge, which you get only when you're under fire taking care of your troops. Brad, thank you for your service, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show, Ron. Appreciate it. Yeah, look, I'm a junkie for war stories, but I know we're not going to be talking about that, but that's another time for another place. But <laughs> Um, I do want to know, how did you find your way into the startup world from the military? That's quite a shift. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Early on in my career, uh, we were certainly in both the Iraqi and Afghanistan conflict. 
And from the medical perspective, we were looking for technologies that could scale on the battlefield to save soldiers' lives. So the first portable ultrasound machine had come out actually out of Seattle, and we were deploying that on the battlefield, um, and we were seeing a direct impact on patient care. So that was sort of the uh, first initial area where I saw the impact of how technology could scale in saving lives and sort of redirected the focus of my career. Uh, uh, certainly, as you said, still continue to practice emergency medicine, um, but I have been, my passion has been around finding ways to leverage technology, both software and device, to impact a larger scale of patients' lives. So I've worked a bit on that while still in the military, looking at different technologies that could impact patient care directly, and then transitioned out of that um, when I left the military service to start working as a chief medical officer for a company called Mobisante, which was the first FDA-approved uh, medical smartphone device in the United States. So we were really on the cutting edge back in around 2011, 2010, around um, understanding how a smartphone could be actually leveraged as a FDA-approved medical device. It's very yeah. cool. So you've, uh, you've gotten to operate Star Trek devices on the battlefield and on your phone uh, with these mobile medical devices. That's pretty cool. What is the 98.6% um, offering? My understanding is it's a virtual primary care at the touch of a text. Does that sort of summarize it uh, well? Yeah, I think that's a great summary. We're, we're primarily an app-based service that provides text-first primary care, although certainly other capabilities are built into the experience. Video and phone capabilities are built into the app experience, but we primarily initiate conversations with patients via text. Um, the service on the front end, patients uh, interact with our automated assistant, which is our AI, which uh, uh, listens to the patient's uh, concerns and then asks appropriate questions. And then at some point, the physician will enter into the conversation directly and complete the visit. So we're fully transparent with patients. They, they always understand when they're interacting with our technology versus uh, interacting with our physicians. Um, so we think we gain a bunch of trust building through uh, that approach. So it's it's interesting. You have an AI bot that's basically a buffer until a physician's ready. But by the time the physician's ready to engage with the patient, they have a patient history based on the chat, and it's been summarized in a nice, neat way, so they can quickly get to the root of the issue. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and it, it really meets patients where they're at in most of their lives. They are using text as a form of communication with family, friends, and work associates. Uh, none of us really prefer. FaceTime or video chats when when we have an, an opportunity just to text. So it really is a, a meth methodology of communication that most people are very comfortable with. Really, all ages are comfortable with it. Use it. You know, grandparents are using it to communicate with their grandkids. So it's not even necessarily a younger uh, modality of communication in our and in, in the United States or really the world for that matter. So people are comfortable with it. Um, it also allows them to engage in communication with physicians in non-traditional settings. So in between meetings at work, um, you know, on the bus, on the way to work, you could be talking to 98.6 and a physician, not taking two and a half hours out of your day to go into a brick and mortar visit. Um, you can actually complete that visit before you even make it off the bus. So that convenience, that sort of on-demand approach to primary care is unique. And we believe will activate patients, get them engaged in not only their sickness care, but in their wellness care. That's really at the core of our business. So you don't have any bricks and mortar clinics except perhaps in Seattle. Is that, uh, is that the case? We're 100% virtual. I mean, we certainly have offices uh, for, you know, where 
the people who are building the technology are working in Seattle, but the physicians, there's a core physicians in Seattle, uh, but we have physicians throughout the entire United States to include Hawaii, which provide 24 seven care uh, every day of the, of the year. So we, uh, we do that and we're proud to say we do that uh, with our physicians not working nights actually because we have physicians across multiple time zones that can hand off to each other and we really care deeply about physician satisfaction and physician burnout. Um, and so that approach allows us to keep doctors from working actual night shifts while still providing 24 seven care across the entire United States. Well, I know you're just dying to brag as I am dying to brag about you because I love new primary care entrants into the field. And this, the brag here is not only do you guys have an amazing net promoter score, but your traction is freaking crazy. I mean, you guys are into the six figure uh, number of patients right now and y'all just got started a couple of years ago. It's been amazing to see uh, the uptake, uh, you know, just sort of demonstrates the, the need in the market where patients were looking for something a bit different than was available. Um, we're having great uh, success in not only the direct consumer space, but certainly working with employers or even health plans um, to really provide the service. Because when you think about cost, quality, and access, uh, we can attack those uh, pillars uh, uh, equally um, because we're uh, so, you know we're a, uh, essentially a virtual service that's on all the time. Patients are accessing it through their mobile phone, which is almost ubiquitous and in, in the culture here in the United States. So it allows people to really engage in their healthcare on their terms at a low cost. And so um, what we've seen over time is on all those verticals, uh, higher and higher engagement levels uh, after someone uses the service once, uh, the rapidity of the second visit continues to climb as patients are like, wow, that was an amazing experience. I'm going to use that the next time as well. Um, and it's not that, you know, we do not resolve a hundred percent of cases, of course, but, um, you know, providing high-level physician oversight. It, you know, when we look at someone who ends up being referred to an emergency department, as an emergency physician, I consider that a win. I mean, that's that's a case where a primary care physician has taken a look at a case, really gone deep into it and decided this is an instance where emergency medicine care is needed and required. So, It's interesting. You guys signed up Sam's Club, which is super exciting. Are you helping Sam's Club members or their employees? So we've been doing a, a pilot with Sam's Club uh, and uh, what I can describe uh, you know, publicly about our relationship with that is we're, we're testing out in, in certain markets where um, patients can essentially buy a subscription at 98.6 through that medium and then utilize the service. So um, it's really almost like its own unique channel for us. Um, and it allows us to touch more patients. Obviously, Walmart and Sam's Clubs touches enormous amount of patients within the United States in aggregate. So we're incredibly excited about that partnership. Well, Brad, I know you've got your eye on population health too as the chief medical officer, but we have this, uh, by the time this airs, the coronavirus may be way past the 80,000 mark that we're at with about a 2% mortality. Um, and it might be in America by this time, because it might be about six weeks from you and I are actually talking here in late February. But you can have the ability with your app to push out notifications to people to wash their hands more often, don't worry about wearing masks, don't be afraid to go out, but just be careful and be thoughtful. And you you can push information out in the, uh, I mean, we're talking pandemic here. This is very scary stuff. Right. I mean, back, uh, a lot of my early work in the military was around disaster medicine, so this is, you know, these issues around pandemic uh, viruses are near, you know, near and dear to an interest of mine for years. So uh, we have um, done a fair amount of work in this space as it relates to both influenza 
And uh, more recently with COVID-19, uh, we actually altered some of our AI platform algorithms to make sure we were capturing the CDC recommended uh, data set that would maybe imply someone did require um, you know, actual testing for COVID-19. So that, uh, and uh, we've talked a bit of a little bit about that publicly um, and a couple of news sources that picked that up a few weeks ago. So we've been working with the government around that because if you think about it, um, we're really well situated to provide a, a platform that covers the entire United States where we can understand uh, patients are coming in in multiple different geographies and presenting with a myriad of symptoms. Um, so we, we you know, referred a couple cases to the CDC uh, in January. Um, they ended up not you know, being uh, positive cases, but nonetheless, it sort of proved the point of what a system like ours can really provide from that perspective. It's very exciting stuff. Um, Brad, the net promoter score I talked about earlier, you are basically competing with primary care, which is in the low 50s or high 50s for net promoter score for those that measure it. And you guys are in the um, much higher range than you expected to be. In fact, you're above your targets, aren't you? Yeah, we have been. And I think that we're, we believe that we should be really in a new sort of domain as far as it relates to NPS, primarily because, um, you know, of the service we're providing uh, with, the, with the quality of the, of the patient experience. Um, I think a lot of health systems are actually below the number you described uh, in a brick and mortar setting, in the traditional setting of the numbers I've seen. So I think there was a lot of opportunity to improve the NPS from uh, the patient experience perspective. And so we, we sort of look at ourselves as being wanting to be somewhere where other on-demand technology services live outside of healthcare. Uh, we'd want the same kind of NPSs that we'd expect from those same experiences, whether it be on-demand video or on-demand purchasing of, of goods. Um, you know, patients expect an on-demand service and healthcare to be no different. Ultimately, at scale, this is kind of what people have grown to expect. And so that's what we strive to is. But again, for us, the, the thing I really enjoy as the chief medical officer is because of the system we've built, we really have the opportunity to understand a lot fundamentally about that patient experience that traditionally is very challenging from a retrospective perspective to really understand deeply in a brick and mortar setting because it's it's weeks to months later and you're trying to uncover um, clues through with a note and some other data points, but it's never really as uh, deeply accessible in terms of the data that you can get from uh, the kind of data we have on encounters. Where are you going to be going with sensors? I can imagine that ordering a Netflix is not quite as interesting or an ordering, ordering an Amazon Prime whatever, fill in the blank, is not quite as interesting as the crime scene investigation you have to do as chief medical officer. Do you envision sensors in people's homes or on their wrists or on their rings or even more? They're going to be wearing things around their chest. What is what is the future of sensors for yeah. APC? I think it's, I think that um, having been in my three previous companies were all device oriented. So it's been really nice to be actually on the software and delivery side um, as, for a change of pace. Um, so we are essentially relatively agnostic to devices. And over time, we anticipate that we, you as a uh, patient, may pick up three or four devices, either online, as mo most of these move to the direct consumer space, um, and then we can essentially consume that data uh, to provide better care, whether it's extending the reach of our physician's capabilities through digital autoscopy, uh, you know, families being able to take pictures of their children's eardrums and uh, something as simple as that, to more complex data collection uh, through the Apple Watch, um, and, but not only that, 
what I think is interesting is being able to actually layer multiple sets of data on top of each other to really see how that's impacting population health. Like right now, that's not typically done. And talking to friends and, and colleagues that are in the brick and mortar world, uh, because there's not really a reimbursement model that's set up for them, when, when patients are bringing in piles of data and asking physicians to consume this and give them information or give them perspective or on what they should do with that data, it's really challenging for physicians because it can take an enormous amount of time um, where, and there's no real compensation model for that time in the current fee-for-service world that most of them live in. Yeah, I, I can walk on my treadmill and that's a silo. I can go to the health club the next day, walk on that treadmill, separate silo. Um, I have a Fitbit. That might be a separate silo for when I take a walk in the neighborhood. I can have three different events in a 24-hour period and they're all in separate silos. There's literally nobody that's aggregating on a dashboard, something that tells me what I, Ron Barshop, need to do next to uh, get better, to get healthier. Right. And when you think about social determinants of health, to this point, I think we've been fairly limited in what we can really turn around in that space, primarily because we don't have access to data sets that allow us to truly understand you know, what is going to make Ron more healthy, as an example. Um, I heard Robbie talking, Robbie Cape, your CEO, talking on one of these shows, and he said that the price of the offering was something in the range of 5 to $20 per month. Is that possible? Yep, that is. I mean, right now, if you... We could take the direct consumer model. You can go download an iOS or Android app store currently, um, pay $20 introductory pricing right now, um, and then essentially it's a, a dollar a visit, um, and then it's $120 per year annual every year subsequent to that. But all those numbers are relatively low by comparison to what patients are currently paying for even a singular brick and mortar visit. Look, let's put that in context, folks. That's a cell bill, $120. That's a cell phone bill. So come on, let's, you know, maybe two people on a cell phone. Um, and that we're talking about your health here. The complaint that I've heard about virtual primary care is completely false because I am a virtual primary care patient myself with a company called Redirect Health. So I have a bricks and mortar doctor of my choice, chiropractor of my choice, but I have a Spruce app and I am allowed to text 24-7 a caregiver, which will eventually get me to a white coat. My experience has been if I have flu-like conditions, they are going to send me to a lab to make sure if it's viral or fungal. They're not going to just bomb me, carpet bomb me with whatever they, you know, at their, at their disposal prescription-wise. How do you guys get around those kinds of concerns? Well, we certainly, we've been ordering labs uh, from the service because we wanted to really drive into virtual primary care and not be an acute care medicine transactional service. So we got into labs pretty early uh, back in 2017, and that, that aspect of our business has grown. And again, for the same, all the reasons you can imagine, like if you need your lipid panel drawn or your PSA drawn, do you really need a, a, a brick and mortar visit to accomplish that task? Because so we order, the patients come in, we order the labs, the labs come back to our clinic, uh, you're notified, you can come back into the clinic and have a conversation around those labs and answer any questions you may have around them. Uh, and you can come in as really multiple times if you have questions around uh, that or a medication. We see that all the time where, when you create a friction-free environment where it's really not a significant cost for you to come back in, uh, you know, we always hear stories about patients, they, they get a prescription and then like an hour later, they have a couple questions about the medication and how it may relate to their generalized health, but they're gone. They're out of the office or they're out of the emergency department and they don't have a, an easy access venue to ask an additional question. So even in that context, 90.6 is providing a friction-free service for you just to come back in to ask that singular question that provides significant clarity and satisfaction for you as the patient. 
I think you just said something critical. You said friction-free. And I know a lot of people that are from my generation, I'm 60 years old, a lot of people think you need to have a relationship with Dr. Chen or Dr. Chavez. You, 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 know, you want to go back and see that same doc every time because they know you. The truth of the matter is, if it's frictionless, the next generation doesn't care who they're talking to as long as they know them, as long as it's personal. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. What, you know, we um, patients uh, develop relationships with 98.6 a trusted relationship with 98.6 as a service. Obviously, the same doctors don't work 24-7, 365. They wouldn't last very long here. So um, patients do sometimes see different physicians, but um, the trust in the service and the trust in the technology is, is the differentiator and being there all the time for, to support the patient whenever they have a question, whether that be at 2 in the afternoon or 2 a.m. Okay, so you're going to probably agree with this statement. The triple aim is not only accomplished with 98.6, you guys are clearly into the quadruple aim because you're making doctors happy too. I'm sure y'all track your satisfaction with your onboard physicians. Is that uh, the case? It's a great, yeah, great, great question and absolutely true. You know, our, our physicians, one of the big differentiators for us is our physicians are all full-time employees in 98.6. We don't use contracted physicians to deliver the care. So they're deeply connected to the service. Um, they're all, they're bought in on the mission. Um, we believe that, you know, no one should have to make a financial trade-off to receive primary care medicine. Um, and so we're driving towards that North Star over time. And the physicians are part of that. Um, they spend time, uh, every physician has time allotted to develop product or to impact the business in some other way other than the practice of medicine directly. Um, and I think that's a uh, key, uh, key point for us. The, the physicians sort of, or the sort of like net promoter score correlation or our physician satisfaction score is really critical for us. We, you know, we want to uh, build a physician culture where, uh, physicians are excited about coming to work to practice medicine and also about the camaraderie they get about being part of a growing organization that's really aligned with the vision why many people end up going into medicine in the first place, which is to to help as many people as possible. Okay, I wanted to dispel every possible rumor about a, a service like this because I love what y'all are doing. You are not hiring fresh greenies straight out of uh, residency. You're going to hire people that are a mixture of experience. Is that right? Correct, yeah. So we have... Um, uh, many of our physicians have over 15 years of experience. In fact, the vast majority of them, we, we haven't hired anyone directly out of residency. We like to have at least three to five years of experience under their belt before transitioning to virtual care. Cause again, we're, we're interested in understanding what, what are, what are the boundaries of virtual care, you know, quality and patient safety are paramount for us. So we need physicians who have, uh, have experience and are, are interested in, in having conversations around that because we're not interested in providing unsafe care, obviously. And so we want physicians that are deeply committed to quality and outcomes. Um, do you imagine your mix will include PAs and nurse practitioners someday? I think we, we started with physicians and we've had, um, honestly, there's, we've had no shortage of physician applications for us, which has been an exciting part of, uh, that kind of has been a nice indicator for me that we're doing something right here. We have, um, over 150 applications currently of physicians who want to work at 98.6. And so having that front end pipeline of physicians who have a ton of experience, they have lots of scar tissue, they know the things that are wrong with the current healthcare system and they're excited to fix it. Um, to answer your question directly, we, have, we haven't hired any nurse practitioner or PAs yet, although we don't have any hard and fast rules around that. It just hasn't been part of our initial model. When I first discovered you guys, I was sitting next to a guy from HCA head of strategy at a conference and I told him about y'all and I said, what is your 
data telling you about people having a virtual dock on their phone. And he says, people don't want that. Um, all contraire, your numbers are completely uh, discounting what he just said or what he told me. Yeah, uh, you know, our experience has not been that, that patients appreciate the capacity to well, engage in their healthcare on their terms. Um, and so I don't think, um, I just think that convenience while still providing the high quality bar is, is new. Um, and uh, I think patients love it. Well, I know patients love it. So, Hey Brad, have you made any interesting discoveries personally about medicine you didn't understand before after uh, engaging with these guys? Or do you feel um, you're, uh, um, you, you have some insights as a doctor that you didn't know? Well, I mean, we, we, we look deeply and care deeply about obviously communication and between doctor patient relationships. And traditionally there's not other than your own experience as a physician. Um, I started my career in academic medicine training residents. So certainly spent a lot of time trying to teach residents how to, to be good communicators, good history takers, um, good collaborators with patients. We spent a bunch of time trying to understand what is, uh, what is going to provide a good patient experience and high quality care. Um, and I'm a, I'm continually amazed at the level of detail that we can go into um, by building a virtual service um, that gives us access to a, a deeper understanding of what patients want or need um, than you can ever really get from a brick and mortar experience. I guess I was, I didn't ask the question the right way. Did, have you personally discovered anything about patients you didn't understand before? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think, what I've understood is that I would say that 98.6 and my work at 90.6 has directly impacted my experience as an emergency physician as I have a much deeper understanding of what patient satisfaction is about, like the intricacies of what makes a patient happy and satisfied with their experience with a physician, whether it be brick and mortar or virtual. And those, those learnings have directly impacted some of the approaches I have to delivering brick and mortar care when I'm working in the emergency department because I have just a better understanding of patients' perspectives, for sure. That can't be a more sort of perplexing and frustrating job than ER because you're dealing with people off the streets, you're giving them the best you can, and you're seeing them right back off the streets in your ER again. You're dealing with people that are um, chronic conditions that aren't getting treated the root cause, and you gotta send them back on the street again. It's gotta be a little frustrating being in ER compared to this sort of nirvana you're in right now. (laughs) I mean, I love emergency medicine. you know, as a, as a field, it's been a great job for the last 20 years or so. But, you know, I agree with you that one of the things you can uncover by looking at who's coming into an emergency department is a lot of the problems in our health system, right? If you take one example that I talk about sometimes is around hypertension. Now, there are rare hypertensive emergencies where patients need to be in an emergency department. But, you know, a large majority of those patients that end up in the ED with questions about blood pressure management are primarily in there because they got a couple concerning readings at home and it's two in the morning and they don't have access to a physician to answer some basic questions. So what happens? They end up in the emergency department. For me, that ends up being an indication of a failure of the system that we haven't met the patient's needs as a system as a, and so um, I think that there's a bunch of opportunities uh, in dimensions like that where virtual care can really redefine a a good patient experience uh, and have the same outcome. Yeah, you know, when you take a blood pressure example, this, the, the virtual perspective versus an in-person visit, for many of those cases, you can achieve the same outcome. Um, I want to keep up this discussion longer term, but I promised you only a half hour. So I'm going to ask you a couple of final questions. If people want to find you or 98.6, how do they do that, Brad? 
Yeah, I mean, the, our website is is pretty robust. Um, 98.6point6.com to learn more about the service. Um, there's uh, certainly, a, I would encourage people to download the app. The introductory price is pretty low, low barrier to use. And that, that's the best way to actually access the service and try it. Very nice. And the, um, if you're flying a banner over America for the healthcare consumer, what is your message to them? Um, I'd say that, you know, help is on the way and people are, you know, and not just in the virtual world, but help is on the way that the physician community in particular fully recognizes that we need to make some changes to meet patients where they're at and give them the healthcare they need. You know, help is on the way for the patient, help is on the way for the employer, and help is on the way for the physician, all three. Love it. Yeah. I love what y'all are doing. So let's keep up this uh, ongoing discussion. And uh, thank you, Brad Youngren, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, Help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.